everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Keibel and John Mikulski. Welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, episode 14, Computing at the Elementary Level for October 11, 2011. This week, our guest is Gina Marcel, who joins us from the school at Columbia University. Um, she's going to be talking about some of the things she does as technology integrator for the elementary level. Um, but first, I think, Sean, uh, how's it going? We have something to uh, to talk about today first. You have a big day, or you had a big day, right? Yes, I did have a big day, and really a big week. And big is a very good uh, very good word for me to use, and I'll, I'll shed some light on that as well. But uh, yeah, today was my last day with my current school district, so... Um, I know I, I think I've mentioned it in the past, uh, for about six months now, I've been driving two hours each direction, uh, back and forth to work. And, uh, obviously something had to change there. And, uh, I played around with the idea of maybe moving, uh, here to the small town that my district's in now. Uh, but I had also been looking at, uh, I live in the Dallas area and had been looking at, uh, you know, trying to find some work in the Dallas area. And I did. And luckily that uh, kept me in education. So I'll be working for a school district in the, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And, uh, but that meant, uh, you know, transitioning and leaving, leaving the district I've been at now for, uh, well, just over three years. So, uh, that's kind of, kind of bittersweet for you too, cause you really like that district, didn't you? Yeah, it really was. It's really tough. And of course you tell people that and, uh, you know, there, cause everybody here has been wonderful and, you know, we're going to miss you and we hate seeing you leave and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, you say that back, you know, and you're like, I, you know, I hate leaving, you know, I, I love it here. And you, you hope that the sincerity can come through because it, it truly is uh, my sentiment. I've absolutely loved being here. And, uh, uh, you know, I didn't grow up in a small town, and this is a very small town. And uh, so that environment seems is very appealing to me. And, uh, I, you know, all of the neat little things that happen in a small town that don't happen in a, a larger setting – uh, have always been endearing to me, and uh, I, so I loved working here. You know, I knew everybody. Um, it's funny you even get to know, even though I only teach a you know a very uh, well just one period at the middle school this year, and I had a few uh, few periods last year. But you know, I didn't teach all of these kids. But it's funny, even in working in technology, how many of the kids you get to know as well, and. Uh, so, yeah, so it's uh, it's been a real fun ride, and uh, I've really enjoyed it and worked with wonderful people, and I'm going to miss it. And I'm going to a much larger, I'm going to the largest class of uh, school district uh, that our state uh, classifies. So <laughs> I'm literally going from the smallest classification to the largest classification. So I'm sure I'm going to experience some culture shock there. Um, but, you know, at the same time, that's going to be exciting too, you know. Oh yeah. Now at the new the new job, will you be teaching as well, or is it going to be more of the the technology administrative stuff? I will be pure tech there, um, at least out out of the gate. Uh, I don't foresee them uh, calling me into the classroom, but I guess that's always a possibility. Uh, but really, I think the way they operate there, uh, I'll probably be just pure tech. So uh, yeah, that's going to be interesting too. You know, I, I first thought that and especially i know i told you this john but you know i said for a long time that the one kind of level that i didn't think i could ever teach i thought i could i thought i could handle elementary kids and the high school right i said if i ever taught I, that i'd be okay there 
but not not the middle school. And sure enough, where do they put me? They put me in the middle school, <laughs> right? And now that I've got, you know, I've had a chance to do it for two years, and uh, you know, I, I, any teacher out there listening is going to totally understand what I what I'm saying. But uh, you know, you get attached to the kids, and you get used to dealing with them, and uh, so I am certainly going to miss that. And it was really tough. Uh, kind of cutting out on my kids early this year you know they they hated to see me go and i hated to leave them oh and i remember you telling me that you had some of these kids last year so this is not like you've had them for more than just a few months already yeah yeah exactly um yeah at this point there's uh you know there's quite a bit of an attachment there right you 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 really you get to know the kids they get to know you and um uh so yeah it's it's really tough to uh you know you feel like you're abandoning your own kids to some degree you know so uh so yeah it, it's been an emotional week certainly and uh and then ne- next week will be a week of just head spinning and trying to figure out you know what's going on and being in a new environment so uh yeah quite a bit of transition going on right now yeah and, well and I, I like to point out too that uh your your now former school district is also kind of the birthplace of uh First, the tightwad tech, and then all all the other things to follow. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, you know, and Mark and I, uh, we actually had a show. Uh, one of our episodes of the tightwad tech, we talked about the dream team breaking up, and uh, that was when uh, I first found out that I was going to be moving to a different district. And uh, yeah, I mean, not only for the the for the shows because you know that's where that all blossomed, but then we did, we've done some amazingly innovative things with our school district, and all of that's kind of. You know, uh, Mark obviously will keep that alive, but, uh, uh, you know, the two of us together, we were a pretty powerful force in making those things happen, and that's going to, that's going to, that dynamic is going to change now. So, uh, yeah. As, as things are changing in, in your, your life, it's more of the same, uh, everyday thing for me. And I, I had a, a quick story about, about my school. Um, as I mentioned before in the past, we, my, my school district keeps things locked down pretty tight, and, um, this year, just recently, they we have we have wireless throughout the buildings, but it's not open. We don't have any open uh, channels for you know guest guest connects or anything. Okay. So it, that's always kind of the hot commodity, and without fail, every year a couple of kids figure out you know, they hack into a device, so they they figure out the, the password. And um, this year we got back and uh, we found that all the networks uh, they had changed the passwords over the summer. We've actually switched to a new network. <laughs> So that's been a, a, a great discomfort for everybody because I'll be honest, every year usually what I do is I'll wait a week or two until the kids figure out the password and then I'll just ask one of the kids for it and they gave it to me for my <laughs> personal devices. That's so great. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, because you, you kind of have to learn how to, to get around things like that sometimes. So sure. anyway, uh, this year they, they've really locked it down pretty tight and uh, it, it, I've pretty much given up on, on trying to connect anything at school other than the, the school devices. And, uh, really, usually that's not a big deal, but like, I, I use my iPad a lot, and I've actually been using it in class a lot, and, um, it, it has the 3G service on it, but I'm pretty sure that, um, my, my room was just painted with lead paint because I don't get any signal in there at all. So, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really been kind of a, an inconvenience. Yeah. You know, uh, just to throw that in there, and I don't know if that's the case in your room or not, but, uh, we have in our buildings, uh, every so many walls is what's called a firewall. And it seems like the teachers who are close to those firewalls tend to have problems because they're they're really built up and a lot of metal inside of them and things like that. So, uh, so maybe you're near a fire, firewall. 
Well, the the whole building is just made out of cinder block, and it's just <laughs> that's you, right. You, you, don't get a, that. you don't get a signal anywhere. <laughs> so so, anyways, I, it, it's been an issue, and actually, I kind of reached a breaking point this week, and um, and I, I decided I was trying to upload something from my iPad, and I, I reached this breaking point where I was actually wandering the building during one of my free periods, trying to find um, trying to find this, a signal somewhere strong enough so I can upload this little video I made, and. Uh, and I finally thought to myself, I either need to go sit in the parking lot in my car and hope I have a better signal there, or I need to go and talk to the technology director and just beg and plead for the password. Right. So I, I went over, went over and, and made my case, and uh, she listened to everything I was doing, and she said, you're, you're the example of what we should be doing. Everything sounds great. You're really innovative, but I can't give you the password. So really? I, I kind of played it. Well, her her argument was that um, for security purposes on the network, if she gives it to me, then you know, right, we should be able to give it to everyone. And and we are um, headed. They're going to have an open network where you can have guest access um, in the next couple of weeks. So I guess I just have to wait. But either way, I okay. kind of resigned myself to the fact that I, I got to just suck it up. And um, that was like earlier in the week, and I just left it. And today uh, we have homecoming at our school district this week, so there was a they have the activities after school today. So a lot of my former students who are now in the high school came back to visit, and um, so I was just chatting with some of them. And and one of the the girls at, during the conversation pulls out her her iPod Touch, and I see her go on the internet and start searching for something. And I said to her, "How how are you on the internet right now?" And she said, "Oh, I have the password." And I said, "Well, where'd you get the password <laughs> from?" And she said, "Oh, someone someone got it already." And I said, well, can you give it to me? And she said, well, no, they're charging for it. And I said, well, they're not charging for it. And, and through the, the course of the story, I found out that there's, there's one person in, in the building, one, one student who um, figured out the, the new password for, for the network in our, our district. And um, he's charging $5 for him to manually type it into whatever device you want it on, and kids are paying him for it. So um, we, we have an Internet black market going on in our district right now, and, and I, I'm seriously considering paying my $5. <laughs> I'll be honest. So it's just kind of well. funny because, you know, it, it's just funny because it just shows, like, we kind of have this this whole other... Uh, world that goes on behind our, our doors, I guess. <laughs> oh, that is great. John, if you don't mind, I'm gonna, I'm gonna relay that story, uh, on the Tightwad Tech because that's too good. Wow. Yeah. It, you know, and we, we run a open network here. Anybody, uh, anybody can come and, and connect up to our Wi-Fi, and we very often have students and, and even just local townspeople that will come and uh, drive up, get close to one of our buildings so that they can connect their laptop to uh, one of our wireless access points. And, uh, well, and you know, and it, of course it's maybe a little bit different. We're in a small town, but, you know, our, our view of it is, uh, you know, their taxes pay for all of this stuff, and uh, we're going to let them come up and use it. And, uh, you know, there are obviously our security issues from a network administrator standpoint, but if you set your network up right, uh, you know, you, you should be fine. And it sounds like your school is going in that direction and setting something up that can give guest access. So, um, you know, that, that's a good thing. I'm glad to see that they're moving in that direction. Yeah, well, and that was when I first had that conversation earlier in the week, I was told that the rollout time would be about two months. And um, I found out afterward that, it had been re- reduced down to about two weeks. So I don't know if it's just a, a case of the, the squeaky wheel getting the grease or I'd like to take full credit for it personally. But uh, <laughs> it, from what I understand, it's been a long time coming because there is, there's certainly a need for it. And um, we're a district where we just started one-to-one uh, computing at the middle school, but they kind of realized early on that that just 
sustainability wise wasn't going to fly at the high school. So they're already talking about doing kind of a bring your own device environment for the high school. So sure. of course you absolutely need to have that, that open network to do that. So it's definitely coming, but it, it just really made me laugh to realize that first of all, I'm not the only one in the district that's having that problem. And, um, it's just another case of the kids being far more resourceful uh, than than the teachers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was going to say they need to hire that kid. He could raise money, and then they could buy all that wireless equipment that they need. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I see. At first, I thought I was trying to figure out what what stealthy move he he used to figure out the the codes because I know there are ways to do it, and sure, uh, I I would never do them just because I'm I imagine I'd probably get in trouble, especially now that this is on recording for for someone to somebody <laughs> find in here from my district, but. Um, I actually asked the girl and said, well, how did he, how did he figure out? And I was expecting some real like matrix kind of answer. And, uh, she said, oh, they had it written on a tag and they forgot to take it off one of the wireless hubs and he, he just stole it. I'm like, oh, that's not even like that exciting. So that was that <laughs> he just leapt into it. Yeah, he walked in and I, he sounds like he's made a fortune. I don't know who this is. He, she didn't <laughs> divulge her, uh, her source, but she said that she'd have to charge me if I, if she gave me the, the right. <laughs> oh, that is great. No, I love hearing that because, uh, because you're right. I mean, that's a perfect example. These kids are going to find a way one way or another. So, uh, rather than trying to, uh, you know, fence them in, uh, so to speak, we need to work with them and teach them, you know, how to use these things. And of course, uh, I guess now's a perfect time to cut to our guest and, uh, because we're going to talk, uh, about some of those, just those things there. So, uh, the kids start, start early and that's what we're going to hear from uh, Gina about now. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead, John, and let's bring on Gina Marcel. Okay, so let's bring on our guest. Uh, today it's Gina Marcel. She's the primary technology integrator at the school at Columbia University. Gina, how's it going? Oh, it's going really well. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. We're we're actually real excited to have you. You're kind of uh, reaching a niche that we've we've never really addressed on the the show before, so I'm excited to get into that. But uh, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you teach and and what you do? Um, Sure. I teach at the school at Columbia University, which is a a wonderful environment to do what I do. Um, We're special in the sense that Unlike other independent schools, 50% of our population are children of professors um, at Columbia University. And then the other 50% come from a lotto that's done from uh, District 3 and 5, which really encompasses Harlem. So we have a very diverse population of children, um, socioeconomically and um, diverse backgrounds, as well as like a diversity in terms of learning. So I really enjoy working at the school. We have about like 500 students. I think it's like 486, 47, you know, kindergarten all the way to eighth grade. And it is an independent school. So it is a private school. But at the same time, we, we give a lot of funding to um, a lot of the students that come to our school. So it's wonderful. It's a wonderful environment for me. So it sounds like it's a pretty diverse uh, body of, of students as well. Is that right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm sure that we are like one of the few schools with the demographics that we have um, with one of the highest diversities on different, you know, different levels of, uh, you know, diversity, not just one kind of diversity, but all different kinds of diversity. So it's a very exciting place to be. Now, I, I have a question. And I think probably a lot of our listeners will uh, pro- maybe be asking themselves the same thing. So this is, is this like a K through 12 school that's located at Columbia University? How's that work exactly? Well, we're off of the Morningside campus on 110th and Broadway. Okay. 
whereas whereas um, Columbia is located on 116th. So we're not exactly on the campus, but we're very close by. Okay. So, um, yeah, we are in Manhattan. Um, yeah, and again, it is it is definitely an independent school. There is tuition. Now, uh, and I'm sorry, I, I, John, I know I'm hijacking this a little bit, but just that environment has me so many questions I want to ask. Well, that's totally fine. So so the uh, tuition situation in New York, you know, they I've seen shows where they have like, you know, these parents are just like, it's like this big competition or whatever to try to get your kids into these schools. Is 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 that part of, uh, like, is your school district sort of fall into line with that or is that more uh, the higher end? kind of public institutions or how does that work? Well, there's a yes and no to that. Um, and I, I've taught at other independent schools and the bulk of the population are, are affluent. You know, they're like that top 1% and they're fighting for those 30 seats and there's usually little financial aid or wiggle room for socioeconomic diversity. But here at the School of Columbia, we don't, we don't really deal with finances and we don't go through a, an admissions process in the traditional sense. We have a strict lottery. So if you live within District 3 and District 5 and you apply to come to our school and you win a lottery seat, at that point, the financial, your financials become important. And that's when we, you know, figure out how we're going to make this work for this family to come to the school. So it's, it's, you know, although not every family in our school, um, doesn't have, has means, but there are families that have means and there are families who don't have means. And for those people, it's like, like a 99% College, I mean, I'm, it's a college tuition practically, but it's like a 99 cents, 99% financial aid package given out. So. Oh, wow. It really is winning the lottery. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. They're actually, they're, yeah, they're winning an expensive uh, tuition package then. Yeah, exactly. So third, we have, have, we have about 60 kindergartners that we enroll every year. 30, yet again, are for Columbia professors and their children. They have their own lottery. And then the other 30 seats are held for the, um, the community. So if I worked for Columbia, I would have to go in the Columbia pool. I couldn't be in both pools, right. regardless of where I live. Okay. So there's a Columbia pool and a community pool. Mm. Well, it sounds like any spot in, in any of those pools are probably pretty highly desirable. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. I mean, if you're a Columbia professor, I mean, obviously education in New York City is, is definitely going to weigh whether you, you want to live in New York City. So, um, it's definitely a factor. A uh, Columbia University, um, the school is definitely designed to be, um, an attraction for getting the best professors. Um, and it, and it definitely is competitive with the rest of the independent school world. It's very robust. Uh, we're cutting edge. We're innovators. I think that a lot of the things that we do, we're the first ones to do. So, you know, that is like the, definitely one of its goals is to make sure that it helps attract the best professors to New York City. Well, and that's something that, you know, that innovation is kind of why uh, I was excited to talk to you today because of some mm-hmm. of the innovative things that your school is doing. But first, talk about your role in it a little bit. Um, as the technology integrator, what what exactly are you doing day to day in in this school? Wow. <laughs> um, that's a really quick, simple answer for that. I'm just like, whoa. I'm like, wow, you want me to answer that in a 45-minute show? Oh, my God. Um, well, I'm the primary technology integrator. Uh, what that means is I work primarily with kindergarten, first, and second grade. And um, I basically bridge the, the gap between technology and curriculum. So 
I help teachers figure out how to integrate technology into their curriculum in a way that's meaningful and not frivolous, very important or not to be frivolous, but meaningful and that will extend and enhance learning. And at the same time, I'm also responsible for, um, I have some responsibilities for purchasing. I was put in charge by my boss, Don Buckley, to um, help implement a one-to-one iPad program this year. Um, and, you know, I definitely want to enrich the teachers in their administrative and professional, you know, um, aspirations. So it's a real big mixed bag. And during the summer, the last two summers, I've taught summer school to, um, you know, add to the, the mathematic, the mathematics and the literacy curriculum. Um, it's a huge mixed bag, but, um, primarily I'm supposed to work with kindergarten first and second grade. <laughs> That, Did I explain you know, that well? Yeah, that was really good. Actually, it kind of okay. sounds like you have some of the same duties that that Sean kind of has. Is that right, Sean? You do some of that those things too at at your yeah, yeah certainly. I get to uh, be somewhat of a jack of all trades. So uh, everything from being in the classroom to uh, to anything that seems to plug into a wall. So. Um, I have the unique fortune at my, at my last position, I was director of technology. And so I have like six different hats. Um, here, I, the, the primary reason why I moved is because I liked the, I liked working with young kids. I liked working with, you know, the youngest learners that were just entering education. And, and I, and I also wanted to make a difference in their lives because this is the point where you start attaining reading skills. You started understanding numbers. You know, and I just really wanted to have an impact on a child's ability to do those things, especially since it informs the rest of their educational career and how they feel about school. And so this position actually gave me the opportunity to focus on one aspect of technology integration. I mean, I'm not a network administrator, which is great. We have one of those. And um, yes, I am a curriculum developer, but that is like my main function. And, you know, purchasing tools to do that is part of that one function. So really yeah, happy. They all going hand that. in hand. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm sure that John can tell you he does like 10 different, he probably, probably plays 10 different roles or a few different roles, you know, traditionally technology people end up playing a lot of roles <laughs> oh yeah yeah well you have to and especially as fast as it moves and changes you know it's always something new just around the corner so yeah at the same time we have to stay on top of what's going on and stay current and be innovators all the time yeah so you're you're probably in a situation where that's somewhat expected of you right i mean you've got to be a school that's kind of on on the leading edge there right yeah yes. you set the standard um, well, yes, I, 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 I think we do. I believe we do. <laughs> you try to, yeah. I mean, I work with a great set of people, so that also helps. Um, and, and I say to everyone that I deal with, you understand that we are the first ones doing this for everyone, not just in our building, but for everyone. And then we inform everyone of what we're doing. Like, for example... Um, we started the Teach 21 Institute at our school, and that was so that we could bring our current practices, our best practices, out to the world. So we do have this institute, but our next step is to connect with a public school 
and provide those services to a public school for free, like the professional development services for free. You know, so, you know, we are, we, we are trying to stay cutting edge and we kind of believe that our, that it, our goal is to stay that way. So we, we hope we're leading the pack. I don't want to be too, uh, uh, presumptuous. Well, well, with with that, with that, let's uh, give us give us an idea of what your uh, what your average classroom or maybe what your average uh, technology use looks like. Uh, um, I'm kind of curious, and I know I know that you know at the elementary level, especially that that can range widely, uh, just because of the you know developmentally where the kids are at. But uh, give us an idea of what what you got going on there. All right, so I think in uh, 2003, I think that's right, Sean Mishler who I, I was in great contact with, with him during those days when he was planning, like mapping out what, te- what technology would look like at the school of Columbia. You know, one of his, two of his, um, charges was to make sure that every, every classroom had a, an interactive whiteboard. Um, and we went with smart boards at that time. And I wasn't part of the school then, but I did know Sean very well. And, you know, he, he shared with, um, the greater community at large. And the other thing that he made sure is that laptops would play a role. So this was going to be one of the first, not the first, but one of the first um, laptop programs that would begin as early as kindergarten and run throughout the school. So um, as of now, um, Don Buckley has been there for five years. And so there's been like more tools. So a general K2 classroom will have an interactive whiteboard we're not wedded to any one brand, but we have an interactive whiteboard. It'll have, um, this year we went, um, two to one laptops for the students. And then, um, we have smart tables, which is like this wonderful, um, table that allows for to up to eight students to interact and collaborate to reach a common goal. And then, um, we went one to one iPad this year in the K2 division and we're, we're almost there. Um, the teachers have a unique opportunity also because, you know, we outfit them with an, a laptop upon hi- being hired at the school and we replace those laptops every three years. Um, you know, software is available because of Columbia University and the software that we purchase. I mean, whatever we can think of that we need to enrich learning, we're fortunate to have it available to us. Um, in the middle school, well, actually, in all of the school, they have access to Google Apps accounts. So everybody has an email account. Um, well, more than email. You know, Google Apps is more than email. Oh, yeah. We love that. We love Google Apps. Yeah, exactly. So everyone has a Google Apps account. So students have, you know, dig- create digital portfolios, among other things. We also have um, what would be like YouTube, and it's called the Tube. So students have access to a space where they can upload video and, you know, share it with each other around the world. You know, within a within a closed space that's safe, and as well as um the two um the gallery, which is, you know, would be analogous to Flickr. Okay. And we also have yeah we also have a social networking site which we um have used um t- to further education one one thing that you know it furthers education but also to 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 provide a safe environment so these kids can create their online lives you know, and make the mistakes that they're going to make, but within this closed, safe environment, as, you know, as opposed to when they go out, or if they're, they're probably already out, on the real world, social networks, and making those mistakes. So we have a lot of resources, and we try to mirror as much as possible what the kids are experiencing at home with all of these, you know, tools that they have at their hands, and we try to bring it inside the school walls so that they can, you know, be exposed and 
practice. Sure. Yeah, that is so. amazing to me. <laughs> Everything you just said is really uh, impressive. You know, and the, and the part that I want to touch on, um, I actually just had this conversation with a colleague today, how mm-hmm. it's almost like you, as teachers, and at least in my school, it's almost like you live in two different digital worlds because right. there's the outside world where everything goes on and you pretty much have accessibility to anything. But then at school, um, and well, you know, in New York State, there's a lot of rules in terms of um, filtering and access and that kind of thing. So... I know that it's like a different world in school because there's certain areas or certain things that are either blocked or restricted or I have to go through the appropriate channels to get opened or, or whatever the case. And right. my argument has always been, and this is the argument I had with the colleague today, was that we're not preparing students for the outside world. We're not yeah. preparing them how to be good digital citizens and how to understand um, the impact of their digital footprint or any of those pieces. So the idea of you know basically making kind of a walled garden within your school to practice these kinds of skills. That's just, that's the kind of um, new literacy that, that so many schools aren't even going near right now. And right. Um, that's awesome. That, that's just so cool to hear. Oh, thank you. Um, we don't, we don't filter. So our, our kids are pretty much like taught that they're living within this community and that we expect that they will follow the, we call it respectful use policy and not um, break what we call, like, I, I wouldn't say the law, but like break our rules. Like, you know, we, this is an educational tool. We anticipate that you're going to use it for educational purposes. Um, I've worked in other environments where, you know, you check the laptop and it's filled with a lot of things that it shouldn't be filled with. And that's, you know, the, the expectation is that the child is going to misbehave. So we're going to put all these things in place. And then they try to get around it. But here, our expectation is that you're, you're going to understand how to use these tools and you're going to use them appropriately. And for the most part, that works. I mean, like, we do random checks from time to time of, of the laptops. And it's like, it's a very, very, very small percentage of children that are doing things outside of the respect, respectful use policy. And wow. even that, it, it's never, it's never what you would think it is. It's like, I went to YouTube. Oh. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, because we we set it up that we trust them and that we expect that they're going to behave in a certain manner. So we've been fortunate that that has been the case so far. That you know, that's <laughs> such simple logic, but it's something that so many schools just can't bring themselves to to kind of operate under. So right. Yeah, I'm I'm amazed to hear of another one. We we basically at my district don't filter either. We we filter at the highest level, but I'm talking, you know, we filter out porn sites and uh you know the real obvious things. But yeah, our kids can hop on Facebook or YouTube or or whatever and um uh yeah, we see that uh one more as a, a classroom management uh problem uh with the teacher, you know, and we give, you know, the teacher can have them you know, turn off and put the devices down um, if if it's appropriate, or uh, and, and then also deal with uh, those situations. Uh, you know, if somebody's doing something they're not supposed to, well, then you know you deal with it. It's the same as if they were writing a note and passing it in class. You know, you you deal with those situations. So uh, glad to hear another uh, another school out there doing that. Hopefully, that begins to spread. I think uh, you put it just right. I mean, I. I 
I have always felt that it is our responsibility to get these kids ready for, uh, you know, for going out into the real world. And, you know, those things are not going to be acceptable when they hit the job market. Uh, so uh, where are they going to learn that? Uh, so uh, I love seeing other schools do it. Uh, any of our listeners out there, if you're not doing that around your school and you, you're a decision maker, uh, start thinking about those things. I mean, it, it's high time that we do start changing the way we do this stuff. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the kids have smartphones. Right. <laughs> yeah, they can get on stuff from their pockets if they really wanted to. You're right. It's, it's true. I mean, the kids have smartphones, which is like the greatest tool ever invented. I mean, so why aren't we teaching them? We need to, we really do need, I think that social networking is, is so important. Um, it's, it's really exciting to teach kindergartners, <laughs> like we're, we're about to embark on teaching kindergartners how to create their own personal learning network. I mean, your personal learning network at five and six years old is like your mom, your dad, your siblings, your grandparents. <laughs> you know, let's think about uh, tweeting to those people about some important aspect of your day within school. I mean, tweeting is like they see their parents doing it. I mean, some of them do. You know, they see us doing it. So we want them to start thinking about these things. I mean, social networking can be taught as young as kindergarten. Why not? Well, and that actually is a nice transition into uh, the the next part I want to talk about. And it's the elementary level itself. Now, Sean and I both more have a, we have a, a secondary education uh, background. I think we both taught in middle school. So I know very little about what happens in the elementary school. And it suddenly became a great interest to me because my, my youngest or my oldest daughter um, just started preschool. So I'm kind of perked up now and I'm curious what her school has in, in terms of technology and what they do. And that was actually ultimately why I kind of sought out to find someone who's doing all these really great things at the elementary level. So um, you're going to serve as our, our expert today. At, okay. at, at the elementary. So that, that's why you're here. But um, <laughs> so let me great. start by just asking you from what you've seen, you know, you have the kindergarten class coming in. It's their first experiences in school. What kind of skills in terms of like technology literacy do they have entering the classroom the first time? Because I know, again, my four-year-old, she knows how to open up the iPad and she knows how to navigate through and, and find the app she wants and, and so forth. And I don't know, is that something that you're seeing come in just has almost like a natural ability now? Well, it's it's funny because four years ago, I think everyone expected that the kids come into kindergarten, they know how to use computers, they know how to do everything. And and what I found is that they didn't really have the muscle tone. They really weren't savvy with using a mouse um, and so on and so forth. And they just needed some, some strategies for doing those things. But four years later, um, touch devices are all the rage and the children are used to going on YouTube to learn. They're used to like having their parents' phone and, and touching those devices. And what's happening is they understand symbols. So they can go into a, any kind of app and figure out quickly how to use the app because they, A, are not wedded to a mouse any longer. So it's all tactile and it's all their hand movements, things that they can handle developmentally and physically. Um, and they understand the symbols and they transfer that information across platforms. So, for example, a child may have been watching um, clips from their favorite um, pre-K show online. And they know that if you 
press a double arrow, it makes the screen bigger. So guess what? They know how to expand the screen every time they go to every single app. They're like, if I press that button, this screen will be full screen. Perfect. And they transfer that information instinctively across platforms. And then like the plus sign, they know plus sign means I get something new or it takes me to another place. So I just find that it's, it's more intuitive. They're more willing to, um, discover on their own. They are definitely ready to, um, they, they don't feel afraid to touch the smart board. They don't feel afraid to touch the iPads and the information is, is just, it's being transferred everywhere in their daily lives. So that's, that's how you know they're learning is that they're able to apply that information across different areas in their, in their day. So I don't know, the kids are getting smarter and smarter every day because they, they're being exposed to it earlier in a way that's developmentally appropriate. Um, I am not the biggest, um, proponent of trackpads for five-year-olds, but an iPad, totally you know well and so. it makes sense because it is it's more tactile so it does make yeah. it fits more what you know developmentally where they're at mm-hmm. um but would you say like they come in with what you're talking about is it almost seems like raw skills like understanding basic icons and that kind of thing so yeah. that's probably a good starting point where do you go from there then like how do you start to get them to really understand how these things work and, and what to do with them and best practices i guess in the eyes of a, um, a kindergartner well, for a kindergartner, the best part about K-1-2 is that the kids are all about rules. So if you expose them to a laptop and you say, um, this is the manner that we're going to conduct ourselves around the, around the laptop, they follow it and they appreciate the tool. And so it, it's, they have, um, they, they don't really have a fear or they don't, they don't really sense that this is something that they can break. They just feel like, okay, I know the rules that are around this tool and I will learn how to use it. And they do. That's, that's really all it goes, all it is. I mean, it, we start with the smart board, which, um, they see the teacher modeling how to use it. And again, it's kinesthetic. And we're doing a literacy le- lesson and we give them the ability to come up and touch the smart board. So it's, it's really instituting play in their curriculum. So they don't really see it as like something that they need to learn how to use. They just see it as another tool that I'm going to play with and it's going to, and they don't realize that they're extending their literacy and they're extending their math. They're just playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I don't, I hope I'm answering your question, yeah, but yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of amazing to see, um, that every child, uh, like for example, when they're touching a smart table and they're moving letters about, um, there, there aren't, aren't any impediments. There aren't anything, there's nothing in their way. So, um, they feel empowered. They feel like they own a piece of their education and, and they don't, they feel like it, that they're in control of that situation and they own this education and they're in charge of their learning. And, um, they, they ask to take charge of their learning. So now I, I have a, a question. Um, and I don't know if down at that age, although you're, you're seeing uh, students across really all grade levels, is it correct? Um, so I, I'm wondering, you know, for a lot of these devices, uh, there's kind of two, uh, arguments. One says that, you know, it really ups the engagement level, which is good. And then others that say, you know, well, engagement's not 
not that big of a deal because that's going to wear off over time. Um, have you had enough time to really experience that with these technologies uh, to see, you know, how obviously they're going to be uh, real enthusiastic about using these devices early on, but have you been able to see these uh, same students that maybe with several years of experience, uh, uh, you know, how that's evolved over time? Well, I, I definitely, before going to the school at Columbia University, I worked in a K-12 environment. And the same way a sixth grader responded to a, a smart board, a 12th grader responded the exact same way. Um, my best friend is a Spanish teacher, and we reg- regularly collaborate on on um, notebook lessons that she can, interactive lessons. I mean, we're not talking about, like, a projector and displaying. We're talking about interactivity, so I have yet to see a difference in reaction between a young child and a kid that's on his way almost to college when it comes to using these tools to learn. So, Well, uh, I, what I, I guess maybe I'm getting more at is uh, let's say that kindergartner who's in awe of the smart board or, or really you know, engaged by it, um, if that same kindergartner four years later – has that same engagement level or not? I'm curious if you've seen any of that. I I haven't seen um, a difference. I see the kids just as engaged every time I enter the room. Okay. De- depending the age, it doesn't matter of the age level. They're just as excited um, to have multi multimodal learning, mm-hmm. basically introduced at every level. Okay. And, and obviously, I mean, we've had kids gone, go from kindergarten, kindergarten all the way to eighth grade at our school. And the reaction and reception is the same. The activity that includes any of these tools is just well regarded. And I don't have to coax anyone to do any work if I include technology. Would you say that they actually prefer it? Um, I'm going to be careful there because, (laughs) (laughs) well, I do believe that learning needs to be multimodal. And I do think that some traditional aspects of learning needs to still happen. And I do think that technology shouldn't replace a lot of the things that are happening in the classroom, but should be an enhancer or should extend. So I don't think that it's the end-all, be-all, and everything else needs to go, and you should just have technology. I think that technology is important when you are working with children and you want to make sure that um, you're not losing everyone in the audience. I think that children need to be exposed um, to the same activity or the same content area in different modes, and technology should definitely be one of those modes. Uh, you kind of beat me to my next question. I was going to play devil's advocate. So let me just ask this and then, I mean, you okay. kind of already answered. Um, because this is something I hear a lot. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active with technology in my building and, and people come to me and kind of see me as, as one to, to get advice from and suggestions from. And I, so I hear this argument a lot, um, from people who very proudly claim that they're anti-technology and I'll hear arguments like, I don't know why we, we waste time with this stuff with kids because they're not learning the basics. Kids don't know how to do basic multiplication or we don't teach handwriting anymore or um, we should go back to sentence mapping because that's better for grammar. Those are kind of base arguments that I hear um, quite a bit. Obviously, you're coming from an environment that's really 
quite different than than that very traditional environment, like that mm-hmm. very traditional didactic environment. What would you say to people who who come up with with arguments like that against technology? How would you respond to that? Um, I, my first response is none of those things were affected by technology. What that person is responding to is the change of scope and scope in 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 the schools. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, in a school's belief system and mission. And technology didn't affect that at all. Um, the traditional, I mean, like there are different schools of thoughts in terms of how content areas should be taught. And a school that chooses to have an abstract um, curriculum Perhaps that's not the right environment for your if, for your belief system, and maybe that's not a place that you should choose. I don't think it's technology that caused those things that happen. I think different people are studying different ways to teach children, and out of that research has come. There have been new theories and new methods for teaching. So I'm not sure. That's what I would ask those people. How do they feel? Make I I, I want them to identify how technology has influenced this issue that they're, they're talking about. Because I really don't hear how that has anything to do with technology. Yeah, I agree. In, it's almost like sometimes they use that as the scapegoat or something. Right, exactly. And if, again, if technology is being used responsibly, then definitely that person will see that it's actually bringing back the concrete aspects of curriculum to the classroom. So... It, it's weird, but I almost want to say that technology can be traditional education. <laughs> well, it, I, but I agree, though, because yeah. if, if you look at the, the very top level of any school district at the mission statement, every mission statement is going to be more or less the same, and it's going to more or less say something along the lines of the school's mission is to prepare students for the real world or prepare students for um, to be lifelong learners or whatever the, the language is. It's always that same idea of getting them ready for the real thing. And the reality is what they're expected of and, and the environment that they go out in, whether in the working world or just in, in regular life, is so much different now than it was even 10 years ago. So right. preparing them means being literate at, um, on, on you know, different technologies and knowing how to handle the web and web safety and all those different things in addition to some of the more traditional, um, you know, more traditional literacy uh, aspects, I guess, but some people don't really think of it that way. They really see it as those traditional things, and it's not that those are going away. It's just they're they're being brought in a little bit. Right, right. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say I kind of answered my own question there. Easier <laughs> 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 than I answered it. I guess I have a lot to say on that. Sometimes. Just work through it there. Yeah, you'll you'll get you'll get the answer. I just pushed my own little uh, little thought in there. Sorry. I mean, like I I definitely am working in an environment where um, technology is definitely um, a common thread throughout, but it definitely isn't replacing um, traditional teaching, and it's definitely not replacing what our scope is in terms of getting content areas taught. So I, don't, I wouldn't understand that critique. And anybody, anybody who doesn't think, I mean, that their children, like, for example, children are, are now being exposed Exposed every, they're being stimulated every single day by digital 
items. They're digital natives. They understand how to use computers. It's they're what they're on a computer at an early age. They're using like even their toys all light up. They are they are full of like bells and ringers and things like that. And so they don't anticipate that they then go to school and have an experience that's going to continue the way that they've been learning for the three of the four years that they weren't in school. Like, I don't understand that. I mean, the kids are definitely being exposed to all of these stimulating items. We should capitalize on that. Everyone, if you ask a, a middle schooler how often, how long they're on the internet or how, how many of these devices that they have on them, that number will be very high. And they effortlessly will give the time to those devices and to the internet. So why wouldn't we capitalize on what we know that they will work on? Now, uh, I have uh, one more quick question before we uh, we wrap things up. Uh, in education, it's always about the standardized numbers, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> So that's always what it what it boils down to, right? Is how does this get our test scores up? Uh, so uh, I'm curious, you know, there where you're at, how important is that? How important is that push down from the top? And uh, has that have you seen a positive boost there? Uh, it's funny. I was at um at camp NYC last weekend, and um, I had a person say to me that, can I give them numbers, research numbers that tell, that show, that prove that technology is um, impacting test scores? And I, and I said, I think that's the wrong question. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But expand, please, because I, I want to hear your take on this. I, I totally agree with that statement. I mean, I, I said that that was the wrong question. I feel that if someone is asking if technology is impacting test scores, then they're missing the point of including technology. Um, I, and there, there aren't, I don't think there, there is research that will support that technology or, or, or not support that technology is impacting test scores. But I think that's just always the wrong question. How is this impacting test scores? Um, fortunate for me, test scores is not um, I'm sure it's important somewhere. I mean, when a child is in the eighth grade and they're applying to high school, that's when test scores definitely come into play. Um, we, we, we have a rigorous and robust curriculum. Our kids do well. So um, year to year, test scores are not something that we focus on. Um, it's unfortunate that when our children are applying to high school, that that's when it becomes an, an issue, if at all. Right. Well, and you know what? Test scores are not the same as education. I think that's the answer right. to that. You know, right. what technology is doing for test, uh, for, for assessment scores doesn't really equate to what it's doing for education. Right. Right. Uh, and Sean, I just want to point out you, I was having a lot of fun talking about iPads and all kinds of cool stuff and you had to go the state assessment route. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Bring this, this interview to a, a bummer end. I know I did. I came, I came in with a heavy hand right at the end there. But in all reality, that really is a, a big argument, and, and I use it all the time, too. You know, I use a lot of computers in my class, and I'm just starting to explore a little bit using my, my own personal iPad in my classroom, because we don't we don't have the, a set of them like you do, Gina. But, um, you know, I, I would be foolish to ever decide to try to, at this point, take my classroom paperless or do everything online or, or do all word processing, because... I know that my state assessment in English, the kids have to hand write. It's demand writing. So 
um, those assessments do, if anything, almost hinder uh, the the progress because mm-hmm. they're they're a little antiquated, I guess, if you, right. if you think about it. So yeah, you always have to kind of uh, uh, accommodate those as well. It's like a whole other beast that you have to kind of uh, touch on. Right. Yeah, I think next year the state of Texas is going to get rid of the uh, using a slate. Um, you know, chalk and slate uh, test requirements. <laughs> right. <laughs> Reality that a lot of teachers have to face. I mean, in New York City, um, if students don't do well on on the bubble test in third and fifth grade, they risk being held back no matter what their grades are. Right. Well, and now we're, we're going to that yeah. the, the teacher evaluation system too where right. – those scores are now going to affect uh, employment, so it's just right. it's, it's really raising the bar that much more. And it and it's it's sad because it actually affects a, a public school teacher on every level. Even a teacher that is teaching a class that does well on the test, she has to show a marked improvement for what would be average for that subset of kids. So even if she has like a high performing class and they're still high performing the following year, if there isn't a marked improvement on assessment, you know, she or he is, is going to be penalized. And for me, that just seems like such a tragedy. You know, where's the love of learning test? That's what I want to see. Sure. I know. Well, and that's like one of, one of the arguments I've heard. And I actually kind of like this one. Someone uh, once said that schools should almost be based like, are set up almost like uh, Boy Scouts, where it's not so much about passing the test or, or going on to the next grade. It's about earning those badges. And if it takes mm-hmm. you a little bit longer to earn that badge than someone else, then, then so be it. And, uh, I mean, obviously that's not really uh, an environment that could ever be uh, organized. Logistically, that just wouldn't work. But um, that that's really what should be happening. And really the reality is almost the exact opposite. It's everyone kind of getting pushed through the, the same mold and, and now the, the accountability issue that's being pulled up is, is even more, more, more tricky. Yeah, it, the, I like that idea, John. So we, we, what we need to have is like Schoolville. <laughs> Those kids will be all about, they're like, man, I can't wait to get my level four English badge. <laughs> but, but I guess that's a, that, that's a, a topic for another show. <laughs> right. <laughs> well. I mean, we have children at our school that can't wait to log, log onto the social networking site to talk about the latest book or be be their pretend character from that book online with the rest of their classmates. And it's that kind of excitement that we're trying to harness. So, and you can't get you can't show that kind of excitement inside of test. Well, it Sorry. certainly sounds, Gina, like, well, it, it sounds like you're doing just some fantastic things there and, and really is truly a, a progressive environment that you're, you're yeah. working in. So thank you yeah. for sharing that with us. Before we, we, we have to start wrapping up. Before we, we do though, is there anything that you want to leave us with or any last thing that you, you want to share before you go? I just want to say that I'm definitely not the only one out there. I am have not only do I work at a great school, but I have the fortune of being part of um, NICES, which is the New York City Independent School Technologist. Actually, it's consortium in New York, consortium of independent school technologists. And um, we have a listserv, so definitely just do a Google search for NICES. And if you're a technologist anywhere in the country, it doesn't matter what community you come from, please um Send me an email via the listserv and join our listserv and we can share information. And that's 
why we are able to do what we do. It's because we have this greatly organized community of people who share what they are doing with with each other. So please join our community that's nicest, N-Y-C-I-S-T. It's a listserv. Just Google us and, you know, subscribe. Well, it's so nice to hear. Yeah, that if you're listening to this and you've been shaking your head yes the whole time to everything Gina's been saying, there, there's more people out there like you. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a couple of hundred people on this listserv, and I know most of them personally, and we don't we don't believe we own this. We we want to make sure that everyone has access to this as best as we can. So sure. definitely come on and join us. <laughs> join us. <laughs> All right, Gina. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate you taking the time to, to join us and uh, just you know give us a window into your world and what's going on there. And uh, hopefully, we'll see a lot more of that, especially at that level. Uh, that would be a, a great thing to see. I think uh, uh, we we could certainly use it here in Texas. I can say that. Oh, thank yeah. you. So, all right. Well, uh, Gina, thank you so much. And maybe uh, we'll, we'll check back with you again on down the road. Uh, but again, we appreciate you having, having you on the show. And uh, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you. All right, so uh, that was our guest, Gina Marcel, uh, and uh, from the, you might have to help me with this, John, the Columbia University School, I guess. <laughs> Sounds like they just call it the school, so it's the school at Columbia University. Right, that's uh, very, very neat. I, I just thought it was interesting, you know, I, I had to jump in there at the beginning just to kind of go into, I think, the whole kind of New York City sort of school system and uh, is it, so interesting. I've seen documentaries on it, but uh, never actually spoken to somebody who you know who works in that environment. Right. Well, and you, you hear so many negative things about New York City schools. So I think it's pretty cool to hear about some some things that are happening there that are just way better than what's happening in my school. <laughs> you know, some really really cool things she was talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That that's the first one that I've heard talk about actually having the smart tables in the classroom. I, I've seen them at uh, at trade shows so to speak but i've never actually talked to anybody that had them in the classroom though i know though i was going to ask her about that because the only one i really know of and i know there's other ones but you know the, the big one i guess is the microsoft surface that came out a couple years ago and in my head you know i, I watched the videos and I, I saw some of the presentations on it but it always seemed almost like it was more a theoretical device than one that's practical and one that actually is, is showing up places so um that's that's pretty amazing to hear that they have devices like that at their disposal already. Yeah, they're, uh, I, I saw them this last year. at. Uh, we have a, a statewide technology, uh, education technology conference, and uh, I, I go to that every year. And this past year, those were kind of big. You know, Smart, the company Smart um, had them out. And, I, you know, I'll swear that I think they were probably, uh, they were essentially like giant tablets. You know, it was a table with a big kind of uh, safe screen there, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was running some form of Android on it, and uh, and then maybe their own software or whatever, or maybe it was just maybe it was just their own software, maybe running on a Windows platform or something. But uh, but very interactive, and uh, you know, at that level, uh, I, I could see where it'd be very engaging. So uh, I just hadn't spoken with anybody who's actually had them yet. So uh, that was interesting just to see that they they even have those there. Uh, I remember them being pretty pricey. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. Again, like I said, I remember the first time I, I saw some of those, you know, uh, videos thinking there's no way that I'm ever, ever going to be able to afford one of those or ever see one of those in my classroom. So, uh, Gina has given given me hope that someday, at least before my career is over, I'll be able to to play with. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like right on the way. You know, the last week as you're on your way out. <laughs> knowing nothing against my school, but knowing my school, by the time we get them, it'll be one of those things where like we get it, and then something new is about to come along, so we'll immediately be <gasps> um, outdated. Right. <laughs> You get those tables in there, and the kids will be like, "But that other school—they've already got the smart skateboards, and they're all using those." <laughs> Where's our holograph table? This thing's stupid. <laughs> all right. Well, with that said, I guess we'll wrap up. Uh, uh, so uh, I have no tip this week. I'm just going to start out and say that with the week I've had, there's no way I was going to get one in. So, uh, do you have any tips this week, John? Yeah, I have a, a cool website for, and actually it, it fits with the show. It, it's really targeted more towards elementary level teachers, but it's a, a website backed by um, Pearson, like the textbook company actually, and it's wegivebooks.org, and it's actually a, a great website. It kind of serves two purposes. It, it, first, it, it is um, a, a website that kind of helps put books into the hands of children, but it's also a great repository of free, um, full-color picture books for for kids and it's actually not digital picture books it's actual real picture books i know i i kind of browsed through it um earlier today and there's there's books on there that i know i have actual paper copies of that i read with my kids so it's a a legitimate site but the way it works it's very very cool um anyone that has access to the internet can go on and log in either sign up for an account through the we gives give books or through their facebook or whatever there's multiple sign-ons um, and the way it works is after you read a book, um, you mark that you've read it. And the way that the site is set up, um, you choose a charity. And for every book you read, this uh, Pierce, the Pearson Foundation uh, agrees to donate a book um, on your behalf to that particular group. So it, it serves those two purposes of first having an online book that you can read with your, your own kids or your own students. Um, but then also by you reading it and committing to that one book, they will guarantee that uh, a copy of that book will be also delivered to the, the charity of your choice. Nice. Yeah, it's it's a, a real cool site, and it, it's fun because there's um, they do have a category on there for the books. You can browse by age, and they do have a category for the 13 and up, but there's actually nothing there yet. It's a fairly new site, so I, I kind of anticipate that there will be some more like chapter book kind of, of uh, stories on there, but... Um, right now for like the, the zero to three range, there's uh, about 150 books. And, um, again, there, there's the ones that I, I recognize as being ones that I'll see when I go to the bookstore or wherever else. So, um, a great place to get some free books and, and also do uh, a little bit of, of charity work by reading them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was going to say, and, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is the first thing I've seen Pearson do that I actually like. <laughs> so. I, I had to, I, that's why I kind of started with it. Well, and believe it or not, it's actually from a textbook company because they don't do anything that's usually very good. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, and I, it's funny, I complain about Pearson, but you know, the, they, uh, they're responsible for me having some job security <laughs> when it, when it comes down to their software, uh, you know. I I spend countless hours troubleshooting it. So <laughs> wait, there you get trouble from those? That that always works flawless for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That you must have a good tech guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, every year, and uh, Pearson handles our uh, standardized testing here. Um, so uh, every every year when it comes to testing time, I just know that I might as well wipe everything else off my calendar. Uh, and because it's always different, they always change it from the year before. And this year, they're actually supposed to be going uh, via the web now. So, whereas sure that'll go off without a hit. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, last year, up to last year, it was all you know. I'd install some software, and we'd have to do that, and there'd be some special setup or whatever. And it was always always quite buggy. But uh, yeah, this year they're going web based, and I'm just yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping the new district that I'm going to uh, is maybe not using that system because I really was not looking forward to having to deal with that. <laughs> so, all right, well, uh, let's uh, let's you know put a bow on this one. It was a great show again, uh, and I'll just uh, jump in here and get right to it and just tell you all the ways that you can contact us. Uh, you can find us at elementop.com. That's our, our primary site for the network. And uh, you can find the Tightwad Teacher as well as our many other great shows. Uh, on Twitter, at Element OP. If you'll, if you'll search Element OP on Twitter, find that page. You'll get a list there with uh, several of our shows. Tightwad Teacher is one of those lists. And by following that, you'll get mine and John's feed. So, uh, John, you post quite a bit more than I do. Uh, I need to get better at that, but... Yeah, I'm on there a lot more than I probably should be. No, you get, you give some good stuff though. I I always wonder, you know, when I see your post, I'm like, how does he find all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, not enough time sleeping. I think is uh, generally the <laughs> right. So uh, so that's how you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook is facebook.com slash elementop, and that will take you to our network site. Uh, if you will, uh, th- there is a Tightwad teacher there. So if you'll if you'll like the Tightwad teacher. Um, then if we get enough likes, then we can actually have facebook.com slash the tightwad teacher, but, uh, we're not quite there yet. So, uh, if you get a chance, hop on there and give us a like, we'd appreciate it. Uh, you can also call us and, uh, John, we have actually a new number. Uh, Mark set up a new number for, for the network, which, uh, was great, but we're going to continue to use this one. So, uh, this one's appropriate to our show. So five, three, zero frugal F R U G A L two, the number two. So five, three, zero frugal two, you can call and leave us a message and, uh, we'll get that. And, uh, you know, let us know how we're doing or uh, if you have any questions or maybe show suggestions or whatever, you can give us a call there and uh, we'll be glad to uh, get it on the show one way or the other. So uh, for now, uh, anything else, John, before we cut out of here? Well, I just want to say that uh, I got out of doing the, the contact portion of the show. That was because uh, you only have like two more shows left and, until you don't have to do that anymore. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> I figured you were going to try to get me to do it again. Yeah, I, you know, I forgot about that. I'll, I'll get you next week, though. Why I didn't stop. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap it up. Uh, this being my uh, my last show with uh, with my current district, I'm going to wrap it up with saying this is Sean and go Warriors. All right, and this is John signing off.